emergency room. Yeah, so we went over in the emergency room and uh, they took our temperature, no symptoms. They said, well, come on in. But Jen visit with my mom in a little side room and they let me go up. So since she wasn't in the room, I could go up. And so I got to visit with dad for about an hour and a half and he was just the same old happy-go-lucky guy that he always is. And and uh, mom had said that he, that was a big improvement from the day before that I asked him, so you were pretty confused yesterday. No, I wasn't confused. I was just letting Leslie talk. <laughs> so that's pretty much part for the course from my dad. There's times where he is confused. And, uh, you know, there's been a few times where I've been caught off guard where he, uh, I, I'm clueless and Jen picks up on it right away, but where he's been a little disoriented and it's, he has low blood sugar. And I'm like, dad, you're starting to lose it. Well, he hasn't lost it. It's the, it's the blow of blood sugar. And, uh, and uh, Jen picks up on that later in the day, I'll find out he had low blood sugar and the whole time I'm thinking losing it. <laughs> he ain't losing it. Um, but yeah, he's doing well. Um, so we praise God for that. Um, obviously we're all in his hands and, and uh, not one of us gets to pick our days or pick uh, what illnesses, what trials we get to go through. But uh, here uh, he's on his path and continues to push forward. So. Hey, Josh, your mom mentioned something about infusions. What, what, what is it? Um, it's basically, from what I understand, uh, antibiotic infusions. And so if it, it, this is a pretty serious blood infection he has. And which we found out this morning that it's a particular germ that likes to attack the heart. So they're really watching his heart really closely. And, uh, and uh, if he has to do these infusions daily, it's kind of a big like, wow, what are we gonna have to do? Are we gonna have to drive to Moses every day? Are we gonna be able to go down to the clinic and have it done every day? Um, it's still an unknown, we don't know yet, so. So we will see, it's all up in the air. So that's another thing that applicate to God. We don't know, but uh, it'll be, we'll all know soon. Cause I'm gonna have to decide what all, what the prescription is and what they're gonna have to do, so. All right, uh, let's go ahead and look to the Lord and we'll look to his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be here with the believers. We thank you, Father, that you're in control of all things that we live this time, that we're believers at this time in this dispensation, uh, living at the time where uh, the rapture could happen at any moment. And uh, as my dad says, we're just barely here. Uh, Christ could come back at any moment and uh, we would be gone. So uh, we thank you for that, Father, that we can live with this perspective. If we're not living with that perspective, Father, we ask that we would change our minds, that we'd really, that, uh, well, we should live every moment like it's la like it's our last and living in a way that would glorify you. Um, we should also live like it could happen years from now. I don't know, it's a date that's set in your plan, uh, but there's no other uh, pre-written history that is required to take place. Everything that is written will happen after the rapture. Uh, all the other things happening today are just things that are there are not specific things that are written in scripture, that things will get worse, that unrighteousness will get worse, that the conditions of the church will get worse. 
So these things are being fulfilled, but they're not specific uh, prophecies. And they're also uh, things that have, that have already been fulfilled. They've been going on since the beginning of the church. And so, Father, we thank you that at any moment, uh, our position, our heavenly Lord, Jesus Christ, it could become an actuality and we would always be with him. We would no longer suffer the the trials of this life. We would no longer suffer the, the illnesses of this life. We would no longer suffer the trials and weaknesses and challenges of this life, but we would forever be with our Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for these things. We ask that as we gather today, that we'd be encouraged by your word and that we would make the most of each day and get to uh, interact with the saints and be edified by the saints. Amen. All right. We uh, looked at at positional truth in the book of second corinthians and so we got to see several exciting things we saw in chapter one how uh, all promises of god in him are yes and true uh, we saw in chapter two about how paul lived in the presence of and in the face of god in the person of and in the pre presence of christ and in that the result was that he was gracious to others um we saw in chapter two also that God always leads us to triumph, right? Christ, we're always, it's like he's praying forth, like the Roman consuls prayed after a victory. And in Christ, it's, we're victorious, okay? Um, kind of an awesome picture that he puts there. We saw chapter three that for a Jew who gets saved, the veil, the veil over the understanding of the Old Testament is done away with. Um, and then we came to 2 Corinthians 5, and I'd like to begin there with a little bit of review. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And as we mentioned on uh, Wednesday, this is probably one of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture. And it's really misinterpreted in a, in a, for the very reason why we're looking at positional truth. Because it's people that don't really understand or either they don't know about positional truth, they don't understand it, or they don't give it its proper weight, you know, for those reasons. That's why it's misinterpreted. Um, but because it's misinterpreted, it really puts a lot of Christians really in a bad place. Christians that also don't understand positional truth and don't know the key to the Christian life. They have a position, but because they don't understand a verse like this, they're really left feeling guilty and shamed. And you really can't live the Christian life with a big old dark cloud over your head. And uh, so this is the typical way this passage is understood. If anyone, if any man is, or if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are past, old all things become new. Okay, that's how they translate it first. That's kind of the king james version um but in their minds this is how they end it, okay because this is what's taught okay if you become a christian you're a completely new thing and you never sin anymore and any bad habit you had is gone and you only do good things that's how people understand this passage and then the obvious logical conclusion from that is well i do do things so i must not be a christian i do maybe you know some people 
they get saved and they actually do the bad habits do go away okay there's a very some people that will tell you that they say i was an alcoholic and now i'm not cold turkey i was a cigarettes and now i'm not cold turkey they'll say that you'll hear people that give testimony and praise god that, that happened, but that's not the case. okay all right but then i want to ask them did you start any new bad habits i noticed you have this problem and you have this problem and you have this problem but praise god you're not you're not an alcoholic anymore but what about this problem right Everybody that got married, you know, you, you, you dated and you had all, they were perfect in the, in the dating period. Everybody hides all their little bad idiosyncrasies, right? And then you get married and they find out, oh, they're a human being. There's weird noises and weird smells, you know, all those different things, right? No bad habits. Okay. Well, We've talked to you about how the difference between who you are down here and who you are up there. Okay. And many Bible teachers, this isn't anything new. I'm not coming up with anything new. This is stuff that's being has been being taught for a long time, not only in this church, but other great teachers. Okay. People have taught about it as your state and your standing. Your state being down here on earth, your standing being who you are before God, right? Your position. Other people talk about you being a child of God. That's down here. You're born again. And you're a son of God in Christ, standing and status. Some passages talk about this. Some passages talk about this. The problem is when you, you take a verse that's talking about this and make it this. Or take this and make it this. That's the confusion. One is who you are in Christ, who God counts you to be. And the other is who you are down here. And you may or may not be living that out down here. Right? Other people call this impartation. Up here, it's imputation. Right? So all these different terms, teaching mechanisms to point out a distinction in scripture. So, when people take this and they try to make it about your state down here, that's impartation. That's about being a child of God. That's about in life down here on the, where the rubber meets the road, how you act. But we're going to tell you that being in Christ, which is what this is talking about, is imputation. God, how God sees you, you're standing before him that never changes. It's not talking about you becoming new. He's talking about the fact that your status before God is new. All right. So if anyone, now when you say if anyone, what does that imply? How many persons does that imply? At least two probably, right? If anyone, it's not a certainty of one person. That's the number one point here. When people say you're a new creation, they're looking at you. That's one person, right? But this is looking at more than one person. It's looking at actually new creation, the new man, the Christ. All these terms are about the same entity. All believers from past to the rapture 
make up that new position that Christ created upon his ascension at the Father's right hand. So that right there goes away from that previous interpretation, doesn't it? We're all together in Christ, a new creation. Okay, so if you have any, that implies more than one. And then you have Christ, that's three, at least three. I, I, I'm really, there we go. Three. Okay. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, the, the, recon, the ministry of a complete change. He's completely changed us in Christ. We're no longer his enemies. He can look at us as no longer his enemies. Beautiful, wonderful truth. Right? Boy, that takes away a cloud, doesn't it? See, the way they teach it, it leaves a cloud over your head. This whole passage is about taking a cloud away from your head. You see it? Before we were saved, we were enemies of God. Shaking our fists, even though he had died for us, right? While we were yet sinners. But because we're in Christ now, we're no longer enemies, right? We're no longer shaking our fists at God through our good works, okay? As Colossians says, God sees us as in Christ, part of a, we're not separated from God. We're in Christ. There's peace between Jew and Gentile. Right? And we have access to him through Christ. You come down to verse 21. It says, for he hath made him, for he the father hath made him the son to be sin on our behalf, who knew no sin, that we might be made a quality righteousness of God in him. Wow, what a powerful passage, right? You know, I think everybody's familiar with this passage, but um, I used the illustration on Wednesday, you know, this would be, you know, take it away from sin. And, you know, if you could have, take somebody that's rich, who's somebody that's just filthy rich, somebody that you can't even conceptualize uh, how rich they are. Mr. Bezos, okay, everybody know who that is? He's the guy that owns Amazon. He owns media companies. He has a lot of money. I think he's actually the richest man in the world, isn't he? Isn't that what they're saying nowadays? Bezos? Yeah, anyway. It's irrelevant. I'm, this is just an illustration. Let's say I go down to the old bank one of these days, and I'm sure you have tens of accounts too, not just one. Not like me. I just have one little tiny account, right? And the and I go down there and the bank says, hey, Josh, your indebtedness belongs to Bezos and Bezos, his, all his wealth is yours. How about that? Okay. I'd be, wow. Right. But this is something better than you've got a lot, a lot of, you know, I don't think I'm getting much response from anybody here because I don't think anybody here puts wealth as a big, important thing. So I'm not getting the response I'd like, but. <laughs> Let's put something, you put sin in here. Well, if you put, if, if wealth was a hugely important thing, that'd be exciting to you. But sin is something exciting to us, isn't it? The fact that 
our sins are paid for. Okay, and it's more important than any financial wealth in the world. It's a spiritual wealth is to have your sins paid for and to have them put on the else. Right? So our account as to sin is put on Christ and his account of righteousness is put on us. What a gracious thing, right? What a gracious thing. What an amazing thing. Okay. So we have a quality of the righteousness of God in him. This is a positional truth. Now, before we come to the next things I would like to look at, to do a little, just a quick overview of 2 Corinthians. If you go back, uh, we read through this on Wednesday night. And as I shared Wednesday night, I don't like to read what people write about the Bible. We're not told to herald what other people write about the Bible. We're, we're told to herald the word of God, right? Um, but sometimes it's helpful when we're, we're trying to go through a lot of material to just get an overall kind of understanding of a section. So I'm just going to read a Schofield reference note that kind of gives you the overall view of 2 Corinthians. Um, as it says, uh, the writer is Apostle Paul, um, written AD 60, probably from Philippi after the events of Acts 19, verses 23 through 21 through 3. The theme. The epistle discloses the touching state of the great apostle at this time, one of physical weakness, weariness, and pain, but his spiritual burdens were greater. These were of two kinds, solicitude for the maintenance of the churches in grace as against the law teachers, and anguish of heart over the distrust felt toward him by Jews and Jewish Christians. The chilling doctrines of the legalizers were accompanied by detraction and by denial of his apostleship. It is evident that the really dangerous sect in Corinth was that which said, and I have Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.12. That's obviously his interpretation, right? The Schofield reference notes interpretation. They rejected the new revelation through Paul of the doctrines of grace, grounding themselves on the king teachings of our Lord as a minister of the circumcision. Seemingly oblivious that a new dispensation had been introduced by Christ's death. This made defense of the origin and intent of Paul's apostolic authority. The epistle is in three parts. Paul's principles of action, chapter 1 through chapter 7. The collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem, chapter 8 through chapter 9. And then the third point, Paul's defense of his apostolic authority. Okay. Now, with that, that, that's a real summary. If you just understood the 2 Corinthians as that, you'd really be missing a lot. Okay. It's just kind of an overview. Um, I, I look at it, and if you went through this in chapter 2 or chapter 1, I see, whenever I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think of this passage about compassion and learning about the comfort of God. And you say, why am I going through, why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people, right? And I think this first chapter gives a very good defense of that. You know, it tells you sometimes... You don't know why. And God has a bigger, sees the bigger picture. He's trying to teach you his comfort so that you could then in the future help and comfort somebody that's going through a similar problem. It's a huge passage about that. 
And, uh, you know, if you go through something difficult, open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and read it. Okay, That's what Paul's writing about. Going through a tough, tough thing and, and really relying on God. Sometimes that's the biggest thing, biggest reason for you going through a big difficulty is that it forces you to rely on God. God wants us to rely on him. It brings him glory. We stop saying, I'm all powerful and I'm all, I can get through anything. I'm tough. We're not tough. Right? And it doesn't take, you know, sometimes things that we think are huge, huge uh, obstacles, they're really not. To us, they're big. But in the big scope of things, they're not. And there's been lots of people before us that went through much more difficult things than us. Right. And it's uh, it's nothing like that to the, to go read through this and see that if you see here, um, just to bring out a verse that kind of shows a little bit of that. Um, read verse three. Blessed is be is God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them who are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we are ourselves are comfort of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we all suffer. For whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that takers of the suffering, so shall ye be also of the consolation. I'll tell you what I really think this is. I think Paul's laying the groundwork. I think he's being attacked because he is going through difficulties. And it seems like, Paul, you're kind of a small guy. Look, you're getting beat up. You you know, who are you? If you were doing things right, wouldn't you? You know, the, the kind of the Jewish message is if you're doing things right, bad things don't happen to you. Okay. Paul's going through some difficulties. And now Paul's laying that down a different kind of mentality. And he's laying the groundwork for no. When you're a Christian, you do go through difficulties, be suffering the difficulties of believers that suffer and bearing those difficulties with them and then going alongside of them to encourage them and comfort and have compassion. And all of this should be big old warning lights to people who want to isolate believers that are going through difficulties and say, I don't want to get struck with the same lightning that you're getting struck with. See, so these false apostles that are going to come in and may, are making light and diminishing Paul's authority as the just the apostle and the just the steward of the dispensation of grace, they're minimizing and, and casting accusations and and trying to get them to look at them instead of the word of God and all this. Laying the groundwork that hey, you should be gathering me on the word of God around the body of Christ and edifying one another not around these false ones okay so you see this in chapter one the idea of suffering and the comfort that comes in chapter two you have this idea where he says we in verse um 11 lest satan should get advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices and he kind of addresses this issue of of believers who are holding something against somebody that is corrected. Okay. That's a big part of chapter two. You come to chapter three and you have this 
this uh, serving of the new covenant, how we're to serve. And he really lays out that the old covenant was something that had a glory, but it was a fading glory. And that's why Moses hid his face so that the people wouldn't know that it would be something that would have a fading glory. But in contrast to a covenant that would have a fading glory that was built around death, we have a covenant that's built around life, and it doesn't have a fading glory. In fact, as the Holy Spirit works in our life, his work is to make us a better reflective service surface so that we can bring more glory to God. From one quality of glory unto another quality of glory, as it says at the end of the chapter. By the work of the Spirit. As he works on the life of Christ in us, in the nature of the Father, we become a better reflective surface. And that is the new covenant, completely in contrast to the old covenant. And again, this is lays the groundwork to get the Corinthians away from these guys that would lead them astray. Right? Chapter four. Okay. We have this idea. Um, where he talked, or I believe in here you have the um, the Bema seat judgment, but also future things. Then you come to the end of the chapter. This is to me kind of the the pinnacle of the chapter is the towards the end here, where you have for our light, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay. Can you see your position in Christ? No, nope. you have to set your mind to it. If you want it to be lived out down here, it's something that has to be done. You come to chapter five, and as we already said, this there you have the new creation is a big part of that chapter. Um as we continue, I want out with that kind of a groundwork, kind of having a little idea of what's going on towards the end of the book, he really starts to address this attacking of who he is as the steward of the dispensation of grace, as a, an apostle. And so I'm trying to, I'm kind of jumping back and forth between two Bibles and it's throwing me off a little bit. But, um, talks about giving in chapter 9 as he's thinking about this gift for the believers in Jerusalem. When you come to chapter 10, look with me in verse 1. It says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and tolerance of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into the captivity every thought to the obedience of the Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do we look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. Okay. 
then he gets into this authority. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your uh, overthrow, I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Man, can you imagine being terrified by a letter? You know, that just points to a different time, right? But uh, he's addressing this issue of being attacked and his authority being attacked. If you come over to uh, chapter 11, and you see, let's read verse 1 of chapter 11. I would endure with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am zealous or jealous over you with a jealous of God or a godly jealousy, godless zeal, godly zeal. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear any means as the serpent beguiled Eve or thoroughly deceived Eve through his subtlety. So your means should be corrupted or decayed from the simplicity that is where in christ so there's a simplicity this i think harkens back to when paul wrote in first corinthians that he everywhere in all the churches about his ways which are in christ and he was sending timotheus to remind them of his ways which are in christ How do you live out your position in Christ? How is that? How do you frame your mind on things above so that the Holy Spirit can empower you so you God can be using you to work his works? How does that happen? Paul taught this in all the churches. And now his authority is being attacked. So what's being attacked? How to live Christian is being attacked. And he's concerned about these believers and he's concerned about that the simplicity of the Christian life, which begins in the mind, they're being decayed away from that. And they're being deceived. He says, I don't think you guys would be moving away on purpose. You're being tricked. Just like Eve was tricked. You're being tricked. And he says, for if he that comes preaches another of the same kind of Jesus. We have not preached. Or if we receive another of a different kind of spirit, which we have not received. Or another of a different kind of gospel, which we have not accepted. You might bear well with me. And I'm putting in the me. Bear well put up with this you listen to me because this is what they were doing they were putting up with people that were coming in and talking about jesus and talking about the uh, different quality of spirit talking about a different quality of gospel but they weren't pointing it out as different i'll tell you what i think was going on the judaizers those who would promote legalism were coming in and they were talking about Jesus of the Gospels. And Jesus talked about the law. 
He talked about it and talked about a future kingdom law. And they would say, what are the words that matter the most? The words of our Lord himself. Listen to Paul. Listen to the words of the Lord. Right? The red letter words. Those are the most important. He said, the Old Testament said this, but I say unto you, right? But is that our, what we live by today? It's not. It's for a future time. It's for a future time. And that will totally destroy your Christian life if you try to live like that. Because it's not for today. If you try to live by the Gospels, you want to know all the things that you don't have as a Christian that are important in the New Testament? Let's give make a list. First of all, by the Gospels, you don't have a glorified Christ. Christ was glorified after the Gospels. Right? Number two, positional truth. Our position in Christ was established after the Gospels. Number three, the faith. All the faith in the Gospels is a human faith. The faith that we have is a gift, and it's produced by the Spirit. Our waka faith is a Spirit-produced faith. No gospel salvation. Death for our sins, burial, and resurrection. You don't have that in the Gospels. No indwelling Christ in the Gospels. That was only after the Gospels. John 14 says that when he leaves, he would prepare a place for us. You don't have that in the Gospels. No rapture in the Gospels. No resurrection. Okay. No resurrection. Resurrection is after the Gospels. No high priest. Christ wasn't a high priest in the Gospels. But he's a high priest today. No fitness. No maturity. Okay, we could go on. We have, as stated, we have better hope, better promises than believers of previous times. And not just better, we have the best. It's the best. It's a super, superlative in the Greek. We have the best promises. And those were revealed through the Apostle Paul, right? Through the Apostle Paul, through direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul learned under Christ out in the wilderness, as it says, for three years. Right? Immediately he left from into the wilderness, the wilderness of Arabia. And he came back. And then he went to Jerusalem many, many years later. And they were like, they were afraid of him, weren't they? Who the one that killed the believers, people of the way, is here preaching Christ. You trust the guy? And that continued throughout his ministry where he was 
questioned. His sincerity was questioned. And he even, he said, I was an apostle born out of due time. I'm the, the least of the apostles. He said that about himself. Grace of God, I am what I am. So we're in First Corinthians chapter or Second Corinthians chapter eleven. We read in verse five, for I suppose I was not a bit behind the very chiefest of apostles, the super apostles. I think this might be a little bit tongue in cheek in regard to these false apostles, really. These guys that are claiming how great they are and how the Corinthians need to listen to them. Okay. I think it is because everywhere else, Paul is very humble about his place as an apostle. But here he's saying, I'm not a bit behind these guys. Okay. Among real apostles, I'm the least. But along these false guys, I'm right up there. I'm above them. <laughs> I'm not lacking in regard to these guys. In fact, they lacked if they compare them to me. They don't have my pedigree. They don't, where's their sufferings? They haven't suffered at all. And he's going to go into it. He says, but though I be rude in speech, verse six, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God without charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. Now, this is in light of the fact that Corinthian church was a wealthy church. Not only was it on the land bridge between Achaia and, and Greece, but it was also a place where water routes for trade would meet. So they had a land route and a water route for trade. It was a wealthy place. And a, I believe one of the proconsuls of the Roman Empire made his, the cent, his place there. Okay. It was a very wealthy place. And he didn't take money from them. Verse 9, and when I was with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me. The bread came from Macedonia supplied. What well, Macedonia? It was a region that was more poor. The churches of Macedonia were poor in, re in relationship to the Corinthian church, but he received from them. And in all things, I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. And the truth of Christ is in me. No man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Wherefore? Because I love you. See, somebody's telling the Corinthians, Paul doesn't love you. He's boasting about those believers up in Macedonia. Paul doesn't love you. He says, is this because I love you? God knows. This goes back to what Paul has said several places in this epistle about him living before God in the before and in the presence of God Think about his position in Christ. I don't have to explain myself to anyone if I'm living out my position in Christ. No guilty conscience. There's no cloud over my head. You might not like what I, what I'm doing, but if I know, that I'm living out my Christianity before God and in the presence of my Lord and Savior, that's it. 
I don't have to answer to anybody. Answering to the greatest one, aren't I? And that's how every one of us should live. Because in a lot of ways, I am answerable to the believers, right? Because we're, we're united in the body of Christ. But if we all have that attitude that I'm answerable to God first, and I'm living in his presence first at the right hand of the Father, then these things work out, don't they? Yeah. God knows, verse 12, but what I do will do that I may cut off occasion from them who desire occasion that wherefore boast they may be found even as us. If they're going to boast, let's see them be found to be like us, not taking anything from the church because I suspect their motives. They have an ulterior motive and the ulterior motive is they're trying to make a prize of you. They're trying to take from you. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Satan's not an angel. He's a cherub. Often these... These apostles of Satan, they don't come dressed in black, okay? They often look better than real ministers of Christ, right? Verse 15, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, as foolishly in, his, in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast after the flesh, I will boast also. So he talks about how boasting is foolish. All this boasting is foolishness. But he says, oh, we're going to play this game of boasting. Let's do it. Right? Let's do this boasting in the flesh. Because he wants to lay out his pedigree as a Christian isn't one of, of uh, you know, award banquets and uh, the easy life on easy street. His pedigree is a life of trials and difficulty and torture. Literally. And he says in verse 9, for you suffer fools gladly. You suffer fools gladly. Now that's a double insult, isn't it? Calling somebody a fool and he's saying, hey, you put up this. A slap in their face and a slap in the people's face that are the fools. But you see Seeing you are wise, now is it to suffer a fool? No, this is sarcasm. This is sarcasm. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if 
exalt himself. If a man smite you on the face. Now these are all, this is the obvious. Right? This is the obvious. This is this is the suffering where they would see they're being abused and they don't even recognize it. They're being abused and you're helping me. <laughs> it's like somebody robs you blind and you say, have a nice day, come again. <laughs> okay. Thanks for visiting. I appreciate you thinking of us after they rob you blind. And Paul's going to state the obvious and say, you know you're suffering when somebody hits you in the face. You know you're suffered. You're suffering when somebody puts you in bondage. You know you're suffering when somebody eats you. <laughs> well, devour, he's, he's speaking in metaphorically, right? You know you're suffering when these things happen. But don't you know you're being taken advantage of? Right? And Paul tells you, I speak as concerning reproach. As though we had been weak. Howbeit, whensoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So matching them. Point for point. These guys are saying, we listen to us, you Gentile Christians in Corinth. We are We're Israelites. We're Hebrews that speak Hebrew. We're of Abraham, the father of promise. They're saying all this stuff. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, which is this not another insult? They're not ministers of Christ. They can say they're ministers of Christ all they want. They're not. He says, I speak of, as a fool. I more in labors, more abundant in of me. He say they have stripes because why? They probably don't. He says, whatever stripe, you know, it's kind of hard to argue against a group of people because maybe some did get some stripes they could claim were in the behalf of Christ. But now he just goes into, let's look at me. Let's look at me, everybody. Stop thinking about these idiots. And let's just look at me. Paul's using himself as a example. He says, stripes, as it labors, more. And that labors is that blood, sweat, and tears labor. Okay. This labor where you go, Oh, yeah, um, President Roosevelt built the Grand Coulee Dam. Did, Grant, did President Roosevelt build the Grand Coulee Dam? No. It just got built during his administration, I think. I could be speaking wrong either. I think it was him that it was under administration that was done. He didn't do that work. But he could say, look what I did. He did it through intermediaries, right? There's a lot of people that died building that dam. When Paul says in labors more, he actually labored. He actually sweat. He actually bled. He actually had tears. In stripes above measure. And as the 
Schofield note said he was probably writing this shortly after Philippi. And what happened to Infopi? He was beaten. He was beaten. Beaten good. Okay, illegally. Illegally. But that wasn't the only time he was beaten. It says he was beaten above major in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. The idea of facing death. He often faced death. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes minus one. Everybody familiar with that expression? 40 stripes minus, why is it 40 minus one? The idea was if you got 40, that was the death sentence. So we'll beat you right up to the edge of your life. And that happened to him five times. That happened, you even threatened me one time with that and I'll be recanting. Like, I'll be singing, I don't have a good one for you, but I'll be like a canary, okay? I'll tell you all kinds of things that you want to hear, you know? I don't like, I am a small man. I bruise easily, okay? This happened to Paul five times at this point in his life. I don't know how many times it happened after this point. Three times was I beaten with odds. Once was I stoned. And the implication is to death. He was stoned to death. He died. Not a near-death experience. He had a death experience. The soul and the spirit left the body. Okay. We have this recorded in scripture. It's an axe. He had such, he was marred for it, from it, for the rest of his life. He says the Galatians, he says, you didn't throw up when you looked at me. You listened to me with respect. You ever seen somebody that's so messed up and you're like, man, I don't wonder what happened to them. And you're like trying not to stare and you're like looking away. Right? And you feel bad for him. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in dangers of robbers, in dangers by my own countrymen, in dangers by the heathen, in dangers in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in dangers in the sea, in dangers among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? I must needs boast. I will boast of the things which concern my weaknesses. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed into the ages, knoweth that I lie. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascusines with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I left by the wall and escaped his hands. Paul says, I 
did not choose this. I was saved miraculously. I've been attacked my whole life since I was saved. My pedigree speaks for itself. I'm not doing this for gain. And evidently these guys that were attacking his apostleship were, because this is what's laying out why I'm authentic and they are not. This would have been like putting diamonds on a black cloth to point the, the, to distinguish the radiance of that diamond, right? You put it against a black cloth and Paul's comparing himself to these guys and saying, Listen, I'm doing this by, uh, I've been given an apostleship and a uh, ministry has been committed to me and I have a responsibility. I don't do this for personal gain. Now we come to the end of our time, but the purpose we do all this is really this is really an outliving of Paul's position in Christ. We have him stating times in this book. Um, let's see, um, in Second Corinthians two ten it says he says in the person of in the presence of Christ. Okay, he's talking about being in Christ, and he's living this out before the Corinthians. Okay, he says also in chapter two verses fourteen. 17, I think it's 17, a life before and in the presence of God. Okay. You have this idea of simplicity in Christ that the Corinthians are being decayed away from in 11.3. You're in 10.17, he says, you can boast in the Lord. He's saying, I boast in the Lord. You all are boasting about how, how great you are. These false apostles are boasting about how great their pedigree is. I'm going to boast about misses. And God, the Lord is working through me. He can do a work through me because I'm in Christ. And I'm for him. He, okay, we'll just leave it at that. But then we come to chapter 12. And this is really kind of builds to the progression of this bragging. He feels that this chapter 12 is so important experience in his life that he doesn't even talk he doesn't even focus on the fact that it's him though it is him he's third person okay and very quickly he talks about let's, let's just read it in chapter 12 verse 1 it is not expedient for me doubtless to boast i will come to visions and revelations of the lord i knew a man in christ above 14 years ago whether in a body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows such a one caught up to the edge of the third heaven. Now, he's going to tell you here that the person that this happened to, he can't talk about it. But yet, Paul's talking about it, isn't he? How does he know about it if the person couldn't talk about it? It's because it's him. And the reason he's not talking about it in the first person is because this issue of boasting. See, if you always interpret in the context. Yeah, it all fits together. Verse 4, how that he was caught up to paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not permitted for a man to utter. 
of such a one will I boast, yet of myself I will not boast, but in my weaknesses. For for though I would desire to boast, I shall not be a fool. Again, he's poking at these guys that are boasting about, they're boasting about improper things. Right? I shall not be a fool. I, for I will say the truth, but now I spare, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be or that he hears of me. Why, why does that relate? It relates because these things happen to him. See? Paul, you've been to the edge of the third heaven? Tell us more! Tell us more! See, he says it in the third person. Unless I should be above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Don't ask me. I've been humbled. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. This is another personal appearance of the Lord to Paul. You see this? The Lord. This isn't like we say, the Lord spoke to me. You know, the Lord didn't speak to you. When we say this, we're saying, I, this is what the answer is. I've been praying about this and I have an answer from God, but I didn't hear audible words. God doesn't do that today. We're a people of faith. We don't have concrete things like that. But in Bible times with Paul, Paul was an apostle. It was the beginning of the church, and he did get personal appearances from the risen Lord. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. What a word. (laughs) I am well pleased in weaknesses i don't know if i can say that you know how at what point did paul get abased through trials and the you learn obedience through the even our lord even the son learned obedience through the things that he suffered hebrews chapter 5 right that's how you say god give me patience how do you get patience through difficulties Careful what you ask for. You're still going to have difficulties, so don't you don't get superstitious on me. I don't know at what point did Paul earn to become so submissive to our heavenly Lord. He was well pleased in his weaknesses, in reproaches or insults, in necessities in persecutions, in difficulties for Christ's sake. At what point? I don't know. But there was a point where Paul says, that's when I know the power of God. It's not me anymore. It's God. I become a fool in boasting. Ye have compelled me. You've made me do this. See what you've made me do? (laughs) We're all familiar with that, aren't we? 
for I ought to have been commended of you. But what are they? Is are they being commended? Is he being commended by the Corinthians? No, he's being questioned. For nothing am I behind the chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. For what there were in ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. What a, what, what a joke, right? That he has to say, forgive me, you Christians, you snot-nosed Christians, you know, you little brats. And Paul's asking him to, for, to forgive him. Right. It's quite a picture we get. Paul is living before the Christians in Christ. And they there's a danger. The danger is that their thinking in Christ is being decayed. It's being attacked. Paul's not excited about this. And he's going to bat for them with everything he has. It's another illustration for us of what does it mean to live in Christ. A lot of people think, oh, that means you're always nice to everybody. You're really careful just to tiptoe around. You don't make any noise. You don't make any messes. No, living the Christian life can be. Sometimes you might have to be busy. Sometimes there might be some messes made, right? But Paul spoke the truth. He spoke the truth, and he did it because he loved the saints. Right, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this example in Second Corinthians. We thank you as Paul, uh, on the one hand, he wanted them to learn the compassion of God. Um, he wanted to under them, the, the Corinthians, to understand who they were in Christ. Uh, but ultimately, he wanted them to live out who they were in Christ, not be led astray by false apostles who were trying to put the believers under a untrue, um, an untrue method for the Christian life. Father, we thank you for these believers. We thank you for the opportunity to be with them. We ask as, as Tim comes and shares your word in the second hour, that the saints' eyes would be open, their ears would be open, and that mentally we would be thinking on these things that the Spirit might teach us exactly what we need to know for this week. Amen.